All right, by show of hands, I just need to, to feel the love a little bit on this one question or two. Did you have or are you having right now sort of like this regular naked time in your house where the little ones do not want to keep clothing on? Did you ever have that? Maybe a niece, a nephew, you know, you, you may not have the children of your own, but you're just like, okay, this is uncomfortable. And your brother or something goes, yeah, that's what they do, right? I won't throw anybody uh, under, the, under the bus in my family, Connor, but uh, the, uh, there was always this time, and it was just like, here we go, all right, and eh, you threw off all embarrassment, you threw off all guilt and shame, and you just said, it is what it is, and um, you know, now, I don't know if your girls did that, you know, but what we experienced a lot as far as nakedness in, with the girls were the Barbies. What is it with Barbies with no clothes? I have, I have absolutely no clue what that is. You'd even buy extra outfits, and still Barbie was naked. She just as naked as all get out. And just about the time that Barbie started getting clothes on, uh, our little girls were having their Barbie effect of their own. And they started to know and understand that maybe there should be clothes on Barbie. Family strong. We're going to look at the first family in the book of Genesis. We'll be in chapters 1, two and, th- 1 and 2 for the most part, if you have your scriptures with you. But really, we want to look at the, the first family in this way of, of understanding, well, quite frankly, nakedness. The passage, Genesis 2.25, says this. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Man, what a place to live in. What a place to be. What a place to be in the garden where you're not ashamed of your naked Barbies and you're certainly not ashamed of who you are being wild and free running around the house and there was no guilt or shame. Can you believe that adults once had that experience in this life? That they could be naked before God, they could be naked before one another, yet they experienced no shame No burden of that. I'm going to suggest to you that what makes families strong is the more that we can open ourselves up to what the true nakedness and and, and no shame is before our God. In the restoration of all things through Christ, we realize there's still sin. There's still guilt and shame. We don't want to run around naked. I get that. But yet, the redemption of Christ made all things new, Paul says in Ephesians, to where we, even though we still battle with sin, we are filled with His Spirit, and He desires for us to open ourselves up to God. In the metaphor of nakedness, knowing that we can be naked before Him, He knows exactly who we are. And that with that, if there is something that is guilt or shaming, that we can come to Him in repentance if it's sin, And if it's all outside voices, we can begin to attune ourselves so much with Christ that the only opinion that matters about us is His. And He sees us through what He did on the cross, a redemptive viewpoint. The first family, uh, they obviously had their issues. Today, I want to use as uh, a backdrop to looking at Genesis 1 and 2 um, is, is a book that uh, I researched. There are plenty of research 
There's plenty of research out there. Uh, but the, the Rosbergs interviewed 700 couples. And in, 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 in doing this, they asked them what their, their, their needs were. And just like any thesis, you know, most books that are written uh, on the self-help end it probably had some life as a, as, a, as a PhD dissertation or some level of, of research. So this research, uh, these needs, um, come out of their research of these interviews. But, but with any book that I read, even the, the, the kind of the technical or those that suggest things for us, I always like to just go back to Scripture and say, okay, that makes practical sense, but, but I mean, how does it, how does it you know, weigh out with, with Scripture? And I think what we'll find is that the, that the folk that the Rosbergs interviewed that made up the list, that the, the accumulation of data made, is just as similar in the 21st century as it was with the biblical first family. They, they heard that the number one need for men is unconditional love and acceptance. We don't know each incremental piece of data that, that, that came to that as far as how they expressed it, but isn't it amazing, guys, how we sitting here, we desire unconditional love and acceptance. There is not a guy in this place that does not want to be, you know, just unconditionally loved, even though my words sometimes I'm an absolute goofball. And I cannot even understand how Pamela deals with me. But if she can deal with me, then at that point there is this acceptance, this unconditional acceptance. We sort of have a biblical word for that. It's agape. It's the unconditional response from our God to us that no matter what we are, what we've done, or what we're going to continue to do, that he even knows there is an unconditional positive from him. And that's what we desire from our spouses. I think we desire this. The, the, the one beautiful thing is whenever we talk about the first family, the first family is, is initiated as a marriage. It's a, it's a one flesh relationship between a male and a female. But the principles that we will find today is that most of us are male and female and that these guiding uh, principles from scripture also fit our need. So you don't have to be married. You don't have to uh, have children. Although we see the first family gives us that setting. And out of that setting, we can see that Adam certainly lived in the beauty of full acceptance from God. And he lived in unconditional love there in the garden. Now we know that there's a fall and that's coming. The number one need for women is the need to feel loved unconditionally and accepted. Ha! Huh. That feel word, right? We, we guys don't know what to do with that feeling, right? It's like, so how do you feel about that, honey? I don't know. I mean, we got like four feeling words, right? Now, some of you are maybe a little masters of your own emotions, but most of us have like four words, mad, sad, glad. Okay, three. We have three words that we can deal with. But the ladies, it's about the feel. It's about the feel that comes. Now, do guys feel? Do they want to feel? Yes. 
But when the women articulated this need, they articulated it in a way that said that they want to be absorbed by the experience. They want to be absorbed by us. Most of us, guys, we cannot wrap our mind around that they want to be absorbed around our existence. We go and we do, right? You go and you plant and you take care of the garden, and that was in the good phase, right? God gave Adam that work to do, so that, that we know. But the ladies desired to feel it. So we look at Genesis 2.25. The man and his wife were both naked. They were loved unconditionally. And they felt no shame. They were accepted. They were accepted. The number two need for men and women were both the same. Pretty interesting. Intimacy. Intimacy. We love intimacy. We love touch. We love that, right? Now, men have a tendency to spell intimacy S-E-X, right? We love that level of physical intimacy. There's something about it that, that draws us, and we desire that. Ladies, before they put it up, they didn't put it up, good. Um, what do you think you said, at least your gender said, about how you experience intimacy? What, what word do you think they used? If you read the, if you read the book, cheat. Okay, I... Can't really hear you. Closeness. Okay. What else? Money. <laughs> Meet George Jetson. <laughs> the word that they used, which those are all correct, and you will see how you're correct, is talk. Talk. Conversation. Listening. They desire this intimacy that is relationally developed. Now, we as guys can stereotypically in the physical realm can get stereotyped as that, that this is all we desire, all we want, and that's absolutely correct, but we do have more bandwidth in our capabilities and our availabilities, and so did Adam. Adam had this, right? But yet, through that, God said, that they became one flesh. Now, I remember being in middle school, in the old King James Version, what says, Adam knew Eve. And man, when you got to know what that knew meant, that meant that they had sexual relations, it was not only giggling, but you're like, okay, I went to a new level of education right there. And so we know that the one flesh relationship is, is, is massively important. It is it is developed over levels of transition. There's intimacy interruptions as we bring up families. There's, there, are, there are intimacy interruptions just in development of life, the transitions of life. But yet there is still both a need. There's a need for physical touch. There's a need for that talk time. Guys, I think the easiest way to really Get a twofer, get two for one is sit a little closer. And while she's talking about stuff that you may have even zoned out on, hold her hand. Now, that's not a cheat. That's just a real deal. Now, Pamela sometimes has so many words for me that, that I do zone out. And she calls me on it every time when I go to grab my phone. I don't even realize I'm doing it. It's a, different, it's a different age. 
But when I'm bored normally, oh, I'll check this or I'll check that. And when I check out, she lets me know. Just like with the kids, if you want to have good communication with your parents, just put it aside and have that conversation. So they, they said, listen, the, the intimacy is, is huge. The third need is for, for men, it differs again, slightly, but the third need is for companionship. And God took care of that, right? Genesis 2.18, the Lord said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Man, there's nothing like a relationship when you have levels of companionship. Now, again, I must suggest, ladies, that one of the ways that you can cheat, which will make no sense to you because you have so many things to do, but I think most guys would say is, would you just come talk to me? Would you be present? Would you be my companion while I do something? And that can, that, that can really confuse things because you've got plenty of things on your mind, but maybe you've had that where your guy wants you there. Well, that's a great time. They may not even care what you talk about. They may be able to listen or half listen as they're dealing with the ratchet, but it's your presence that they want. They do not always know how to communicate that. And so guys have differing ways of letting you know. Some are powders, some are shouters, some are, you know, we don't want, know what quite to do with those emotions. But ladies, the bottom line, and I think we can learn from Adam, is that Adam was built with a need. And he was built by God with that need, and God met that need in companionship. And so whether you know how to articulate it or not, you can always bet that your wife desires your presence in intimacy and that you also can know that she needs to lean into you. We may not always know how to communicate that, but the more that we communicate, the better that we open ourselves up. You see, what we do emotionally, both, both of us, both male and female, is that we have a tendency when we are emotionally challenged, our emotional intelligence goes south, and we do exactly what they did, and that is hide themselves, be alone, and being, being hidden and alone, and covering your own nakedness with whatever it is that you desire to do, that can be dangerous. And so we have to open ourselves up when we have an emotional need. That's for all of us, whether we're a child or an aunt or an uncle, we have to have those relationships with family. Paul would even say throughout his epistles that that is the newness of what Christ has brought for the church. If you have this something missing within your life, Christ has covered it through this, this community he called the church. And so that's where you are able to communicate and grow and not be alone and not hide and not clothe yourself sometimes in things that would be not appropriate. But the beautiful thing is, is that women, their third need is spiritual intimacy. Now, when we already know that, guys, we have trouble with intimacy, what happens when you add spiritual intimacy to that? That sounds like, that's like double, that's a double whammy. I know she wants me close, but now you add the word spiritual. And many times we can struggle with that. If we have a, a vocal spouse, or I have dealt with couples and in, in, in families in the church to where 
I will hear this phrase. And it's true. There's definite truism. I just want him to spiritually lead our family. And in that, there's a tension because they desire for us to spiritually lead. And I would say to you, if you have been married and you have children or you are married, then you automatically, God has automatically said, you're a leader. You may not be a leader like some in positional leadership, but you are a leader. And in that influence, I think that the scripture would teach us that we involve ourselves, right? Husband of one wife and out of one flesh relationship, you leave and you cleave to your spouse. God desires for us to know that we are a one-woman man, but even though we don't know exactly what to do with it, I think most ladies would make it easy on us by just allowing us to be present. They know us. They love us. And in the same way, they want to hear some of the things that we're thinking about God. The tough thing is, is that being the spiritual leader means that we might have to up our game. We may need to up our game. Oh, some of us have a stack of books on our, our bedside table that, you know, it's sort of the suggested reading list. Sometimes it's vocalized and sometimes it's just a hint. Boy, I sure hope he would read this book. That's a direct hint. But what they want to know is where we are with God. Where we are within spirituality. This level of spiritual intimacy, spiritual conversation, spiritual companionship allows them to open up. And so we have, some of us today might have a challenge. We might have that challenge to, to, to do that, but I'm going to suggest that you don't make it too hard. And ladies, I'm going to also ask that you don't make it so hard. This is a real deal in our relationships. Some of us have been in the church for a long, long time. A long, long time. But we feel awkward because we, we're awkward about praying or we're awkward about this. Or, listen, some of us, most of us guys, right, we've said it you know, ad nauseum, but we've married up. They are constantly into the Word. We work, we come home, and, and it's like, man, I just want to watch you know, Thursday night football or whatever. But, man, they've, they've, they've had the fill-in-the-blank work They've, they've done this, you see them do this, they do everything with the kids, we're overwhelmed with all that, and now how in the world do I meet up to that expectation? And what we'll do is we'll mess up, we'll make them higher than ourselves, and now we're looking up. And what God would want us to do, what he desires for us to do, is look at each other, both as adults, and lean in. I told second, the first service today, I said, you know, why don't you just do something wacky and crazy? Why don't you just hold your wife's hands and say a four-word prayer, a five-word prayer? You're getting intimacy, and you're letting them know that you're connecting with God because you're praying with them. You see, in that spiritual connection... There is marital growth. There is relational growth within that. The power of opening ourselves up, that volatility to vulnerable, 
Right? What we had in, in Gen- what we have in Genesis is that, that he created them and, and he and, and then there was the, the level of fall. There was a fall. Now we don't want to go through all of that, but there was a conversation. I'm going to suggest to you that, that in that conversation, I asked myself a question: what was Adam doing? We know Adam comes in there eventually in this in the narrative. But where was Adam enough to where Eve started having a conversation with a snake? Where did, where did it have to the place where she would have that need or that vulnerability? We know statistically that, that extramarital affairs come along because typically because of conversation. And you've got the pain, you've got the, the stuff that's going on, or just the stress and the strain, and the stress and the strain is, is now a conversation, and in that conversation, people start, males and females, start feeling different. They start feeling weird. They, they're like, this is not right, but why does it feel so right? It's the same thing that happened to Eve. Eve starts having a conversation. She wants wisdom. We have nothing in the biblical narrative that, that says that Adam was good or bad at communication. But what we do have is that the evil one would love nothing other than to keep us divided. Keep us divided in our marriages, in our families, in our relationships, in our churches. Anything that is, that is God-driven and God-blessed, he wants to get in the middle. And so there's this conversation. And in that conversation, we see that there was... There was a whispering that she could have wisdom and, and, and this and that, and then there was the curse, and there was pain in pregnancy and sweat on the brow for, for work, and it was a mess. You see, the companionship and the spiritual intimacy of our relationships, even with our children, even with our family members, gets stressed and strained. And if there can be division, then that's what the evil one desires. So I'd like to ask you to, to do something here. Um, the fourth need is again an agreeable notion, encouragement. We all desire encouragement. Would somebody, if, if you don't mind, would you read Genesis 2.26? Does anybody have that? Genesis 2.26? Okay. There is no Genesis 2.26. Okay? There's no Genesis 2.26. Now, like, I got a little bit of time. My first service, they are very literal in their thinking. And they really gave me a hard time. Okay? Not to pick on anybody, anybody Sally. But anyway, um, there is no 2.26. No, your preacher is not attempting to try to add to Scripture But I'll tell you what, if there are going to be seminars in heaven, I'm I'm going to be one of those nerds that go to the Genesis seminar, and I'm going to say, I wish there was a Genesis 2.26. Because we come from this beautiful passage. The man and wife and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame, 2.25. And then what do we do? We jump right into chapter 3 with all of the crap. All of the junk, all of this stuff. And really what I think it should say, and I worded it this way. Then life happened. 
Have you ever said that to yourself? Right? Then life happened. It's like this contemporary segue to go, boy, I know what that means. Right? We don't even have to share stories. All because of... Then life happened. Life happened. Again, we do not have the blessing of all the relational narrative. All we know is, boom, there was the fall. And there was all this stuff. But then we move and we get to 320. I think that's, it says 220 on screen, but it's 320. 320 says this. Oh, we get to breathe, right? All of chapter 3, 1 through 19, all of that stuff that we know. We do not have to really go over it. If you're new to Christianity, there was a fall. Adam and Eve were a part of that. You can read that. They messed it all up. There was a curse and it was just ugly. And then it gets to verse 20. I mean, after all of this, I mean, just all of this narrative of what happened, and it says this, Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. When I read that, I was like, okay, I've read that a thousand times before, but, but in this I began, and I, I have a thesis for you, this is my opinion. My opinion is, is that that is, after all of that mess, this is Adam's greatest approach to encouraging Eve. I think of all of this, it comes down to verse 20. Have you ever been through hell and back? Have you ever been in the place to where all you had in your marriage or in your family was to look at each other, hold on with a tight grip and go, I don't know what we're going through. This is crazy. Have you ever been there? If you've been there, then there's probably a time that when you finally got a moment of breath, or maybe it was finally over, whatever this, this, this chaos was, you finally just go, oh. And in that, in that sigh, you look at each other. And I believe that in this moment, Adam did what most of us guys know, know what to do, and that is just go back to what we're used to doing. I think the disciples did it at the, at the death of Jesus and the resurrection. They went fishing. We just have this tan, tendency to do, listen, to regain my consciousness as a male. Not that women don't do this, but as a male, we just go back to doing what we're supposed to do. If you remember, what he was told to do prior to all of the mess was he was to steward the garden and name all living beings. That was his job. I think the beautiful picture of all of this mess is that, that Adam, in 320, just looks over and goes, I don't know what the next years are going to look like. But if you don't mind me saying, I think you're beautiful. And I think it's beautiful that you are the mother of all living things. Adam went with all he knew, and in doing so, I believe he encouraged further to, to push the point. Genesis chapter 5. Genesis chapter 5. Half of one and all of two says this. When God created man, now this is a summation. He's getting ready to get into the genealogy. Moses is getting ready to give forth through the power of the Holy Spirit the genealogy of Adam. He says, when God created man, he made him into the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them. 
And when they were created, he called them man. He called them Adam. God already had named her, already had given her identity through the, the auspices of, of, of through Adam. Everything else was made of dust, but through Adam she was made and he called them and named them Adam. We might say humankind. He named them. But Adam goes back to what he knows to do and he encourages his wife. Sometimes life is messy, and I'm saying to us guys and gals that if we can give each other a break enough, deeply breathe, celebrate what we have in encouraging one another all the way through, that even in the messy times, we can get to the place where we go back to what we always do or what God has intended us to do, and that is to look at each other and encourage. I think a lot of ladies sometimes... It's amazing, they, they want to talk, they want us to listen, but they don't want us to fix. And, and we're fixers, we're doers, that's, what, that's all we know to do. And, and then we'll hear those weird words, I, I don't need you to fix this, what? It makes no sense, what are you talking about? And in the safety and security of what all of us need, but especially ladies, I think Adam was saying, you're the mother of all of this, and things are going to be okay. You see, the encouragement is the power in our relationships. No matter if we're the child, the parent, whatever the case. And then the last, the final needs, spiritual connection and friendship in marriage. Men need a spiritual connection. Now, we just talked about how that can be intimidating, but yes, we love the fact that you take care of our babies. We love the fact that you may be a little more spiritual than us. We love the fact that you help us lead and then you smile. We love the fact that, ladies, that you spend the time, that sometimes we're not disciplined. You are certainly setting the bar and setting the example for us. And what it does is it encourages us and takes us to new levels in Christ. It truly does. I would hope that every married man, every woman, every man that has a Christian mom would probably, or grandmother would say, she's the most spiritual woman I know. I would hope you're able to say that about your wife. Or if you're new, eventually getting to the place where you see Christ so vividly in your spouse. You see, God need it. We want it. But the ladies, of course, want friendship. 1 Peter 3.1 says this about the power of this mutual spirituality, especially for the ladies. In the same way, you wives must accept the authority of your husbands. Then, even if some refuse to obey the good news, your godly lives will speak to them without any words. What power that is if you have an unbelieving spouse or it, 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 it may be some unequally yoking and you're not quite on the same spiritual page. The Apostle Peter says, listen, through your virtue, just keep at it without a lot of words and allow your man to grow through your virtue. But for all of us that need spiritual connection and friendship, he also says this, finally, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, affectionate, 
compassionate, and humble. You see, that's a great way to help us pick up our game. So whether you are male or female, whether you're a child, whether you're in whatever family, the first family gives us an understanding that we can truly strengthen, not just a resolve, but through practical action, what it is to be strong. God, we love you and thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the example set ages ago. God, many of us are living in differing transitions, some with babies, some little kids, some older. Some of us are empty nesters. God, wherever we are, may your spirit speak to us. May every relationship in this place continue to be strengthened. May we put forth that effort. God, we thank you. And oddly enough, we thank you for clothing us. What was not spoken was that even after Adam named Eve, you clothed us, which was the foreshadow of what Christ would be doing for us. That there was a death of an animal that had to happen so that we might be clothed. And what a picture of Jesus. As we enter a time of communing with him, Father, may we be settled in our relationships. That even though there are growth areas and there are certainly the strength areas, that our foundational strength comes in the one who gave his life for us. And through that, clothes us with righteousness. That we no longer have to see ourselves as naked, afraid, and ashamed. But that nakedness before you is something that is all on him. Thank you for his nakedness and his shed blood. Thank you for the hope that comes through that name above every name. And may we humble ourselves and in our relationships enough to realize the fact that he loved us enough to give us everything that we need through his spirit so that we might live in relationship with one another like he does with us. God, we love you and thank you. In Christ's name, amen.